in Calgary, Alberta. I've been there for almost four years now and uh, just have the privilege of leading uh, Bennington Pentecostal Church is the long name. The short version and how we market it is a BP Church. And um, a lot of people compare us to Boston, Boston Pizza, of course, you know, and they kind of went off of that name when we started calling it that. And uh, there is a Boston Pizza next door to us, which helps out a little bit. I just tell them we have better service. Slowly moving all the way to the back there. But uh, it's great to be back here. I grew up in this church. I remember when we were, when we were down on 12, 12 Mountain Road, wasn't it? Right down, way down there. And uh, grew up there. And I remember when we built this building. And I remember being in this youth group. I remember rebelling and walking away from the Lord and sitting in that back seat back there and just telling God to leave me alone and let me do my own thing. And, and then I remember one night on a Friday night, I came out to the church. I graduated high school and came out to the church. And Pastor Paul was our youth pastor at that time. And... Um, I got talking to him, and I had to drop something off to him. We were doing something together, and I dropped something off to him. He said, hey, why don't you come with us tonight? And I said, no, there's no room. The bus is full. And he said, well, and you might have heard this story before. He said, uh, well, that's okay. We'll grab two chairs, put it in the aisle, and, and you can sit in the seat. And I said, oh, man, no, I don't want to know. He said, yeah, yeah. So we ran in the church, grabbed two chairs, put it in the aisle, made two kids get out of their seat. And me and my friend sat in that seat and went on this bus trip up to this youth retreat or re whatever it was, just for a night. And that night I rededicated my heart to the Lord and just said, okay, God, what is it you want me to do? And he just reiterated what he had spoke to me when I was 15. And I just began to chase that road again and to see what God had in store. And so I've been in, been in ministry now since I was... 19 I guess or 20 and uh, God has had the I've had the awesome opportunity to be all over the world and, and to preach the gospel and to see thousands of people get saved and one of my passions is to see people know Christ that is that is what it's all about to me so if you're here this morning and you're seeking out spiritual things and you're wondering you know why did all these people come up here and pray like that or gather around or huddle that person or what was that all about that's just because we believe in a God that's real. We believe in a God that answers prayer. We believe in a God that, that can intervene in any situation. So no matter what you're involved in, no matter where you've been, no matter what you're facing in life, we believe that God is way beyond your circumstance. And the only limit to God is us. The only limit to what God can do is what we believe God can do. Because it's our connection with Him that, uh, that enables Him to connect with us in our everyday life. And I love the Word of God, and I love how the Word of God is really so simple, and it can be applied in everyday context. And so this morning, I want to take a look at, Pastor Paul mentioned it early this morning, and, and we haven't talked about what I was going to be speaking on, but he mentioned the word commitment. And, and in our society today, uh, commitment is one of those things that this generation growing up really doesn't want to jump into. Now, I'm that kind of guy that I'll take the three-year cell phone plan, because I get a free phone. Right? I'll take the commitment because there's a benefit to me. And I've realized that commitment really does bring benefit. And when you commit to something, you can see something through. And so I want to talk to you this morning about family. I want to talk to you about uh, conflict that arises in family, whether it's your, your, your home, your, your nucleus family, as it were, your parents, or between husband and wife, or kids, and, or, or it be your church family. And I thought it was kind of neat that you were uh, just bringing some more people into membership this morning, and welcome them into membership, and talking about commitment, and their commitment to the house, and their commitment to this family as a church, and, and what 
you know, your commitment to them. And, and as a church, you shouldn't take that word lightly, commitment. Because commitment is what your relationship with God is all about. It's His commitment to you because He tells us and He's told everybody since the beginning of time, if, if you will be my people, I will be your God. I will be involved in your life. And so this morning I want us to take a, a look at a passage of Scripture. Uh-oh. Okay, I just didn't have it on, sorry. <laughs> I want us to take a look at a passage of Scripture. But before I do, I'm going to go back here. Before I do, this is a short video that anybody here that's married, any men in the room that's married, it's okay to put your hand up if she's beside you. Okay? Anybody that hopes to someday aspire to get married. These are words of wisdom for you to remember and apply to your life. Okay? Straight from Scripture. choreography myself. Hey honey, have you gained some weight in your rear end? The dress you wear reminds me of my old girlfriend. And where'd you get those shoes? I think they're pretty lame. Would you stop talking cause I'm trying to watch the game? If you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life, these are the things you don't say to your wife. I planned a hunting trip next week on your birthday I didn't ask you but I knew it'd be okay Go make some dinner while I watch this fishing show I taped it over our old wedding video If you're a man who've done that A long and happy life Lives up to you Solo! Okay! Your cooking is okay, but not like mother makes The diamond in the ring I bought you is a fake Your eyes look puffy, dear, are you feeling ill? Happy anniversary, I bought you a treadmill <laughs> You're a man who wants to live a long and happy love that too These are the things you don't say to me. You're a man who doesn't want to get killed with a knife These are the things you don't say to me. Now, as I said, I, I have a, a wife and two beautiful daughters. One's just turning 12 and the other's just turning uh, 9. And pretty much anything that was set up there about, you know, physical appearance, if I get dressed in the morning and walk out and my wife looks at me, she has, for some reason, the right to say, you're not wearing that, are you? And my kids now are at that point, too, where my daughters will look at me and if I'm walking out, they'll say, Dad, you can't wear that. It doesn't apply to men, does it, guys, right? We, we can't say anything, but on the other end, we get encouraged to look better, right? It's a double standard there, but I'm okay with that. My wife approved of that video, so I was able to show it this morning. But I want to talk to you about commitment and, and what it takes to see commitment 
fulfilled in our lives. And for you and for me, commitment's a huge thing. If you're married or, or you're in any type of relationship, even friendships, commitment is important. In Ephesians chapter 4, I, I encourage you this week to read the full Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to jump through, start at the beginning and then jump to the end of it. But Ephesians chapter 4 really gives us a, a good outline of what to do and how to live in community. And even as a church community, how to live in community, how to live as husband and wife, how to live as brother, sister, how to, how to live together. In Ephesians 4, he tells us, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be completely humble and patient. Those are, those are two words that, that we find hard in our everyday life probably just to stick to, but be humble and patient. And he says, I urge you to live worthy of the calling you've received. Maybe I can move that word calling out and, and put in there, live worthy of the relationships that you're in. Live worthy of the, the community that, that God has placed you in, the workplace that God has placed you in, the family God has placed you in, the church that God has placed you in. Live worthy of the calling that you're in in your life and the position where God has you. Make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So the first thing I want to just bring out to you is that idea of commitment to unity. Commitment to, to making sure that there's unity in the house. Commitment to making sure that there's unity in your family, that there's unity in all your relationships, that you're moving together and moving forward together in one accord as it is. And, you know, when I do pre-marriage counseling for, for couples that are getting married or, or if couples come in and, and unity's been broken, it's one of those things that you have to encourage them to get back to unity. Now, if you're here this morning and, and you've been through something in life and you've had relationship breakup or you've been divorced or, or whatever it might be, I don't want to poke at you this morning. I don't want to you know, you know, say anything bad about that. I just want to encourage you now to move forward. Okay, can you do that? Nobody in the room wants to move forward in life. It's okay, you can all stay stuck, that's fine. Maybe the balcony's with me this morning. I'm going to look up here a little bit more. <clears throat> But just move forward. No matter where you've been right now, where you're at, if you've had relationship breakdown, if you've had unity break up, and let me tell you, in the size of this room and the people that are here, I guarantee you there's a large number of you that are not in good relationship with somebody in your family. Just flat out. It's just the odds of this room. And there's somebody here that's not in good relationship with somebody else in this room. That's just the odds. But God calls us in this passage of Scripture to live in unity. Humbly live in unity. And so be committed that my life is going to be a life that's unified with people. And again, commitment is one of those things we don't want to take on because, you know, even in society today, you know, especially in churches, I know in my church, yours is probably similar, that when we have people signing up for things, that uh, we just really don't expect them to sign up until the week before because we'll start a month ahead of time, we'll get a few signatures here and there, and the week before, if nothing else better has come along, people will sign up, right? You're all laughing, some of you won't laugh because you know it's you. But it's that idea, I can't commit because what if there's something better? And that's not life. And, and certainly not the relationship that God has for you. Because let me tell you, there is nothing better than a relationship with God. 
you will not find one other thing better in life that will more satisfy you and fill your spirit with the things that you need than a true relationship with God Almighty through Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than that. And if you're here today and you're saying, you know, I'm just searching for meaning in my life, he brings meaning. He brings fulfillment and he brings direction that will move you into what he's created you for. So commitment to unity. The next is in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew records here what Jesus is saying to his disciples when he's talking about them and, and talking about them living in unity with each other and living with, living with other people. And he says, do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. The measure and, and with the measure that you use it, it will be measured to you. So the idea being that if I find fault in somebody else, then, then I'm supposed to make sure that I don't judge them according to their actions. It's always easier to judge somebody than it is to look in our own life, right? Okay, it's easier for me to judge you than it is for me to judge me. I mean, I'll just be honest. It's easier for me to find fault in you than it is for me to find fault in me. Okay, a few people agree. That's awesome. We're getting there, Paul. They're like, who is this guy? But the measure in which you judge, you will be judged. That's what God tells us. So if I judge Paul for wearing dress pants on Sunday morning because he wants to be traditional, then I'll be judged for that. My mom looked at me and said, you're not wearing those this morning. I said, man, these are my second best jeans. Why wouldn't I wear these? Anyway, in this passage of Scripture, he goes on and he says, why do you look at the speck of dust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother... Let me take that plank out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. Well, here's a plank, small plank. But if I have a plank in my eye, and my brother here has a speck of dust in his eye, let's look at what this looks like when I go to help him take a plank out of his eye. Right? The plank in my eye is going to hurt him a whole lot more than that speck of dust that's in his eye. And that's what we do. When we have something in our life, it's so much easier to condemn and to, to hurt somebody else and, and, and to say, well, you know, let me fix them and ignore the stuff that's in my life. And when I ignore the stuff that's in my life, I actually bring pain into his life. Because the closer I get to him with my junk the more my junk is going to affect his life. And that's what this passage of Scripture is talking about. Don't judge others. Look inward first. And then, when I've taken this out of my eye, I can get close and help somebody else. So it's this commitment to unity where, where we're not critical of others, but we're involved in others' lives to help lift them up. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In Ephesians 4, and jump down to the bottom of the chapter, he says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. The idea here is to be committed to honesty in any relationship. When you make lying the foundation, I'm just going to drop this. When you make lying the foundation of your relationship, it will fail. Period. Because one lie will turn into another lie. And then that lie will turn into another lie. 
And then it'll get exposed. And when it's exposed, trust is broken. And when trust is broken, it's so hard to rebuild. When I have couples that come to me and it's because trust has been broken in their life, it is a long road back. And, and right now I've got a couple, a great couple, and it's amazing that they're actually still together. And he got saved a few years ago, and he was a, he's an oil guy, and he just lived the oil guy life. If you know what that is out there in Alberta, it's, it's pretty rough and stupid. And uh, I lived it for, I didn't live it, I, I lived in it for a year. Uh, when I worked and when I moved back from Texas, I, I knew the Lord was telling me to take a year off, and I, I, I just went and worked in the oil field and made a lot of money, which was great, uh, be honest. But uh, I got to experience this with a bunch of people and just see the life they're living. This guy gets saved, comes to church, gets saved. His wife just couldn't believe it that he actually came to church, let alone got saved. But man, he had just lived a crazy life. And he gives a great testimony now of how God you know, took him out of drugs, took him out of cheating on his wife, took him out of all of these things. But the trust factor was broken. And it has been such a long road for her to begin to trust again. And I don't blame her. I honestly, don't, I don't even understand how, I'll be honest, I don't know how she stayed with him. Seriously. Scripture says she could leave. I know, I'm in a Pentecostal church and you don't have to invite me back, but uh, that's what the Word of God says. He cheated. That is the only reason for divorce. According to Scripture, she could have left. And he didn't just cheat once. I mean, there's a list. But she stayed. Amazing woman of God. But trust, man, when honesty is broken, the steps to take to come back. So be committed to honesty. Be committed to, to being open and being honest with your life and not trying to be somebody that you're not and pretending to be something that you're not and, and, and you know, trying to be that perfect person that everybody looks up to and says, oh, you're just awesome. I wish, you were like, I, wish I was like you and all along. You know there's something in your life that, that you need to get rid of. Be open. Be honest. That's why Scripture tells us, confess your sins one to another that you could be set free, that you could be healed. We don't want to confess our sins to one another because we don't want our sins to be broadcasted. Right? So trust is broken so we can't confess to one another and we stay bound up with junk in our lives because God has come to set us free but we got this thing that we're dealing with and we got saved but it's still there and it's like how do I get this junk out of my life without telling somebody and I can't tell anybody because if I tell somebody they're going to know this about me and maybe they'll tell somebody else because who can I trust? And Satan gets the church all bound up in this mess because people aren't being open and honest and being able to share their struggles and be able to grow and be set free. We have a healing ministry at our church and it's always amazing to me who shows up every time we run it. I'm like, are you kidding? Why are you here? Like, honestly, you look on the outside, it's like, they're perfect. But you know, there's stuff we call it, and we, when we announce it, we say, if you've got hurts, habits, or hang-ups that you're dealing with, this is to set you free. And they come and they get set free because they actually get to sit and talk with a group of others that are facing the same challenges and they're honest and, and they're able to move forward in what God has in store for them. So a commitment to honesty in family, commitment to honesty in community. 
In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give a, the devil a foothold. And my wife and I, I tell this story. I was, I was 32 when I got married, and my wife was 25. She's seven years younger than me, and so I really scored. I was a you know, lucky guy. I had lived on my own for you know, 12, 13 years and had my own house. And when I was in Colorado, I had a house and had guys living in it, paying me rent. Moved to Edmonton, had bought a house, had five guys living. It was like a frat house. They were all paying rent and I was making money off my mortgage as it were. It was awesome. But I was living my life exactly the way I wanted to. You know, I'd go to work in the morning, come home and do, go out at night, do whatever I wanted to do. So then I got married. And my wife, she's this amazing woman that still lived at home. She's an only child. And then you put these two people together in a house. Me that's very self-centered and selfish. Her that's perfect. And just in case this is being recorded. But you come together and, it, you know, this passage of Scripture became so real to me. Do not let the sun go down when you're angry. And it's that idea to be committed to responding and not reacting in life. Be committed to responding to what's going on instead of, instead of reacting and overreacting to the situations that are in front of us. Knowing that God is in control, that God, God can step into any circumstance at any time, and that He's much bigger than what I'm going through, and that He knew it was coming and He's not surprised. Having that as a foundation of my life, then I can respond and not react. Well, my first year of marriage, the, the hinges in our doors got a good workout, and you know, it was a, I'll be honest, those guys that say they've never had a fight with their, their, their wife, they can repent after saying that, because whether it was a loud conversation or not, it was still an argument. Sorry if you've said that. No, I'm not. But we, we had a challenging first year, but we loved each other. But we were committed. It didn't matter. And we were committed to this passage of Scripture. You know why? And I learned this as I, as I went through this. I learned that there's such an amazing truth in this. It says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't, don't let the sun go down. Don't let the night fall, as it were to resolve what's going on. Here's what happens, and you guys have been there, any of you that are married or even have friends that, that, that know what it's like to get in conflict with anybody. If you walk away from conflict or conflict is going on and you storm away from conflict, what begins to happen in your mind? It, it's like anger continues to rise and the voice of the Holy Spirit gets pushed aside. The more angry I allow or allow anger to fester and grow up and I'm right, she's wrong, I can't believe he did that, I can't believe, I, man, that person needs, you know, the more I allow that to roll over in my mind, oh, I should have said this, that would have fixed it right there, right? We've all been there. Some of you are honest, some of you are just like, get me out of here. But the more we allow that to play out in our minds, the more we allow that to rise in our minds, it pushes the voice of the Spirit of God so far away. And when we push the voice of the Spirit of God away, whose voice are we listening to? 
And when he begins to speak into your life and Satan begins to get a foothold, this is the foothold that this passage is talking about. Because you've silenced the voice of the Holy Spirit in your anger and you're allowing Satan to get a foothold, then he takes a situation that could have been easily resolved if I wasn't so proud or if I wasn't so, so self-serving. And we could have come back to unity but because I was proud, prideful or because I was, you know, got to be right because I'm the man. All of a sudden, Satan gets a foothold and begins to build a wedge in any relationship because he begins to spin lies. And those lies are like a cancer in our spirit that begin to drive us apart and begin to break trust and begin to break down the relationship. So we need to be committed to responding and not reacting. When we respond, we stop and we say, Holy Spirit, help me to understand this. Holy Spirit, help me to, to know what it is that's happening here that's even beyond what I can see. What's my wife going through? What's my friend going through? What's my workmate, my school, my classmate going through that's making them act this way? What is the element in their life that's got them so frustrated that I'm feeling their frustration? And when we stop and allow Holy Spirit to speak into our life, all of a sudden we respond through the voice of God in us. And what would have been an explosion becomes a conversation that brings healing into both of our lives. But if we react because we're mad, we're ticked off, we're offended... An offense is a whole other sermon. But when we react, we shut down communication. We, we, we just shut it down between God and us and us and them. So I encourage you to be committed to responding. We go on here in verse 28. It says, anyone who has been stealing must no longer but work. Doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share those in need. The idea of this one here, and as you look at this passage of Scripture, the idea is contributing to relationship. That no matter what, we contribute to the relationships that we're in. Now, I expect a big amen at the end of this one. Okay, ready? If you're an individual that comes home every night, I work, you know, go in in the morning, work all day, come home, my wife has got supper ready on the table. I sit down and eat with the kids and then I go watch TV and leave everything for them. You didn't contribute to the family. Ladies, that was your opportunity. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's like putting a ball on a tee and just saying, you know, knock that sucker out of the park. If you're the guy that comes home and expects everything done for you and... and you know, it's just you know, this video that we watched. You're not contributing to the relationship. Matter of fact, you're stealing from the relationship. Do something useful that will contribute to the relationship. No matter what relationship you're in. Be a contributor. Now there's times in life, and, and I've preached some of this before to my congregation. An individual came up to me and said, Pastor Mark, thank you so much because we're going to get to the next point of this. He said, thank you so much. I've been hurt and I've been off work and I know I've been irritable with my wife and I haven't been contributing 
to my family. And I said, you know what? There's a season in life we all go through where somebody else has to help us along. That's normal. That's normal. And sometimes those seasons are longer than others. And that's why we have relationships so somebody can help us along. But if your relationship is one-sided and it's always one contributing and you're stealing from the relationship, whether it be emotionally, physically, financially, whatever it is, the Scripture says, stop stealing. I don't know why, for some reason, I feel someone needs to hear this this morning. It says, if you've been stealing, you must steal no longer, but must work. And if you're expecting your relationship to come around and be fruitful and to be strong and, and for it to grow with you doing nothing, you're just lying to yourself and you're believing a lie that Satan has placed in your spirit that you can actually have a relationship without contributing to the relationship. And you might say, well, that's just my personality. That's just the way I grew up or that's what I was taught when I was a kid or whatever. Don't believe that lie either. It's not your personality. It's sin. It's sin. Because we were all born into sin. The personality that I formed wasn't righteous and godly. That would have been a good place for amen too for you that know me, but... And I had to be transformed. Right? I had to be renewed. And, and that's what God does. And, and, but there's areas of our lives that we seem to hang on to just because we're either stubborn or we're lazy or we just think we deserve it. And so let me encourage you in family this morning. There's a couple here. I don't know who you are. But you're dealing with this. I know you are because it's just hanging in my spirit. One of you needs to start contributing. And you need to step up before you lose the relationship you have. Let me just tell you, if you don't take care of her or you don't take care of him, somebody else will. I know you're not supposed to say stuff like that in a church, but that's just life today. That's where we're at. So do what God calls us to do. And we'll see healthy, strong relationships. Be committed to contributing. Verse 29, it says, do not, let anyone, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I, I love this passage of Scripture. Andrea and I, when we had our kids, we, and a lot of people do this, we have a lot of Nigerians in our church. It, it seems really funny to me to be in a white church. Uh, I know there's a couple Africans here, but... Uh, Man, mine is really African. <laughs> but in the African culture, names are huge, huge, huge. I just missed the naming ceremony. A naming ceremony is seven days after a child is born. It goes off the Hebrew tradition that seven days after a child is born, the name is given. And the first person to give the name is the pastor of the church. And so I have to go to the house and, and the, the father tells me the names. And these names, man, they are just... They're a real challenge. But they all have significance. They all have meaning to the names. 
and, and they're awesome. And, and so, you know, I get to give these names and speak these names because these names are speaking blessing over the child. When Andrea and I had kids, we named them Brielle. Brielle means strong. And, and Kristen and Christ-like. And, and when, when Brielle was born, it was amazing. You know, we, we knew that was going to be her name. We prayed about it. And, and we said, you know, they asked us, what's her name going to be? And we said, Brielle. And, and Brielle literally, and I don't, maybe this is common. I don't know. I've never only been in that room twice. But she grabbed a hold of the sides of that little basin that she was in. And she sat up. And we we're like, she fits her name right there. And she is. She's one of the strongest little girls I know. She's just an amazing woman of God. And, and Kristen, Kristen Christ-like, but when she was born, Andrea never talked about this before, but the moment she was born, Andrea looked at me and said, because they asked, you know, what's the name of the child going to be? And Andrea said, Kristen Joy. And I looked at her and I said, well, Kristen, I know, but Joy? And she said, yes, Joy. You don't argue with your wife at that point in time. It's just, Joy it is. So Kristen hyphen joy. And she is the funnest, most loving, joyful kid that bounces around our house all the time. That's her name. And she lives up to that name. In this passage of Scripture, I just love this and I believe in this. And you, know, it, it, you might say, well, you know, it's more of that faith doctrine, but I, I, I have a lot of faith. But uh, I just believe in speaking life over people. I don't believe in speaking death over people. And so many times in our conversations, we, we, we want to be that person that gets that snide remark in, or we want to be that person that cuts that other person down just, just to make ourselves feel a little bit better, or, or we want to get that jab in. And I believe this passage of Scripture is talking about that, not to let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but talk that would build people up and not cut them down. People, talk that would help people to just live and have life. A commitment to speaking life over people. Speaking life in your marriage. Speaking life over your husband, your wife. Speaking life over your kids. Speaking life that they know that they are fearfully and wonderfully made and that the promises of God are over their life and claim them over their life even when they're getting old and you believe it and they're just looking at you like you've got ten heads. Keep speaking life in them. If you've got a kid that's running around and being stupid, speak life into them. When I walked in the door one night, my parents, my dad, late at night, and I won't say what I was out doing, but my dad was sitting in his chair in the corner, and I walked in, and he looked down at me, and he said, Mark, I believe in you, and I'm praying for you. I said, thanks, Dad. I went down to my bed. But those words stuck in my head. They stuck in my head because he believed in what I could be, and he believed in what God had in store for my life, and he spoke that over my life. Speak life over your kids. Speak life over your marriage. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, it says, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love, love it will eat of its fruit. But those who speak life and love to speak life will eat of the fruit of that, the growth, the life that comes from speaking positive into people's lives, speaking life into your kids, into your workmates, into your classmates, into your husband, your wife, whatever it might, speaking life over your pastors. Man, speak life over your pastors. I'll just give you a little inside track. Every one of your pastors pray for you all the time because they hear of things going on in your life. So whether it's for 10 seconds or it's for, for 10 minutes, they see your face and they say, God help them. God be with them. And every time that they do that, Satan knows that they're, they're speaking on your behalf. So Satan knows that he's going to try to cut them down anywhere that he can. 
And so every time you have a choice to speak life or to speak death over your pastors, speak life in Jesus' name. Speak life. Lift them up. Whether they ever hear it or not, speak life. And speak it in the spirit realm that, that Satan will know that you are praying for them and you're lifting them up. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, excuse me, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. I'm going to ask Kristen and the worship team to come back if they would. But the idea here is don't grieve Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Spirit of God, which you were sealed for redemption. You know, Scripture tells us, and we know that the Scripture tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The very Spirit of God. When, when you invite Christ into your life and you say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin, I believe in you, God says He places His Spirit in us. That His Spirit is on us, in us, around us. And this passage of Scripture, he says, and do not grieve the Spirit of God with whom you've been sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and along with that, all forms of malice, all forms of rage, all forms of, of discontent, all forms of things. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave the church. And this is a key passage to this passage of Scripture. This is a key ending to this passage of Scripture. He says, And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ God forgave you. Just as Christ forgave you, forgive others. Everything else hinges upon this passage of Scripture, that if we're going to hold bitterness and rage and anger, it comes from unforgiveness. It grows within us and it keeps us locked into this position where we can't move forward and allow Holy Spirit to use our lives to be a benefit to somebody else's life. So let me challenge you this morning. If you've got unforgiveness in your life, now, and to look at this passage of Scripture in its context when he's talking about all of these things in community, and he says, forgive just like God forgives you through Jesus. When we look at how God forgives us, you know, it's that commitment to forgiving. God is committed to forgiving me when I make mistakes. He's committed to forgiving me when I sin. And when others sin against me, God says, you need to be committed to forgiving them. You need to be committed to forgiving them for what's happening and what they're doing. In Psalm chapter 103, it tells us this. The psalmist just writing about the forgiveness of God. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens above the earth, so great is the love for those who fear Him. He goes on, he says, and as far as the east is from the west, now I live in the west, you live in the east, it's a long ways. So far as He removed our transgressions from us. I can't see you from where I'm at. And you can't see me from where I'm, for you're at. That's how far God moves our transgressions, our sin, when He forgives us. And that's what He calls us to do for other people. It's easy to say, I forgive, but then to hold on to the resentment, the malice. To say, are they going to do it again? Oh, I knew they'd do it again. That's just who they are. 
because you never really forgave them. Because you were holding on to who you saw when it happened. When Christ forgave you, and when Christ forgave me, He said, Mark, I see you now as who I've created you to be. Not who you've been acting like, but what I've created you to be. The old is gone, and the new is here. And when God calls us into community, and He calls us into relationship, and if you want relationship to grow and move forward, you're going to have to know how to forgive like God forgives. And let it go. Remove it from in front of your sight. Remove it from from how you perceive that person. So that person is then free to move forward into the purpose and the destiny that God has created them for. And the relationship that He has for you and them. I'm going to jump to the end of this here this morning. The last thing is the commitment to Christ. In our lives to be committed to each other but to be committed to Christ. And if you're here this morning, you say, you know, I'd love all of this in my life. How does, how does this happen? You know, Jesus gives an example to his, to his disciples when he's talking about life and he's talking about storms in life and things that come along in life. And, and he, he talks to them in Luke chapter 6. And I'll just paraphrase this for you. You can read it. But he says, you know, it's like somebody building a house upon a, a solid foundation. He digs down. He finds a solid foundation. He builds a house upon that. When you listen to my words and you obey my words, that's what your life is like when you're in relationship with me, Jesus says. He says it's also like somebody that that doesn't listen to what I say. And they don't build a foundation under their house. And when the winds and the storms come, there's nothing to hold that house up. And the commitment to Christ is the commitment to a solid foundation in your life. The commitment to Christ is that commitment to having something other than yourself that holds up your life. So this morning, if you're here and you haven't made that commitment to Christ, I want to challenge you that it is the foundation that will allow you to build every other relationship solidly in your life. It's the foundation that will help you to move forward into the purpose and the plans that you were created for. And if you're here today and And you've been seeking out spiritual things. And I I close every service that I preach the exact same way. My my, my church almost makes fun of me for it, but they keep telling me, don't you stop. Because they know if they bring someone to church any Sunday, I'm going to close it the exact same way. And right now, I'm just going to give you a simple opportunity to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. I expect that somebody in this room brought a friend with them today that you've been praying for, that you've been saying, man, I just, I know you need to know God. And you invited them and they showed up. And so I'd ask you, if you would, all over the room, just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And, and as the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, I just want to challenge you. I'm going to start on my right and your left. I'm just going to go across the room. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just listening to the Holy Spirit as He's speaking to you. If you're in this room and you're sitting on the right, my left, sorry, my right and your left on this room, And you say, you know what? I need Jesus in my life. I need that foundation. I need that commitment to him first. All I want you to do is look at me. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer with you right there in your seat. If you haven't accepted Christ and you say, I need Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And in the balcony, if that's you this morning. 
And in the middle, if that's you this morning, you say, I need Jesus. Amen. Amen. And over to my left and your right, Holy Spirit, I just pray you'll do what I can't do. And right now, you'll speak spirit to spirit. God, you'll convict us in our lives where we need conviction, and you'll reassure us in our lives where we need that reassurance, God, that you are there, that you love us, and that you accept us. If you looked at me this morning, just simply pray this prayer after me right there in your seat. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose again. I believe that you did that so I could be forgiven of my sin and live the life that you created me for and spend eternity with you. I ask you to forgive me of my sin, to fill me with your spirit, that I could live the life that you created me for. And Father, I just pray over these individuals this morning, God, that there will just be an assurance that you've removed the past as far as the east is from the west. And God, that right now you give them a new opportunity to be the person that you've created them to be. And Holy Spirit, I just pray they'll sense your presence. That as you move them forward and you begin to encourage them about things in their life that need to change, that they will know that you are going to walk with them. That others in this church are going to walk with them. They're going to be patient and they're going to encourage and they're going to speak life over them. And that they can be honest about the struggles that they're in. So Holy Spirit, I just pray you'll do what only you can do and transform these individuals into the likeness of Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen.